Welcome to the drdavidmarlin.com Stable Science Podcast. I'm Dr. David Marlin, and along with a great team of experts, I'm helping horse owners and riders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. In these podcasts, we will discuss science-led research, technology, information, and advice to help you care for your horses so they may live healthier, happier, and longer lives. To support the podcast and all our research and science for horses, go to our website, www.drdavidmarlin.com, and to learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi. So in this podcast, I want to talk to you about uh, a recent paper that I've published with some of my co-authors. Uh, and it relates to the use of thermal imaging to estimate uh, body temperature of horses during and after exercise. And uh, this paper's just been published in the journal Comparative Exercise Physiology. And the authors are myself, Helen Reynolds, Kaz Mukai, uh, Kirsten Neal from Australia and Goran Ackerstrom from the FEI. And the title of the paper is Estimating Rectal Temperature in Exercising Horses in a Competition Environment Using Infrared Thermal Imaging. Um, and this is a, it's published online um, ahead of being printed uh, in the journal. And uh, there'll be a link where you can actually uh, look at the abstract of this paper if you uh, want to get a bit more detail. Um, sadly, this isn't open access. But I can share uh, some of what's in the paper and the, the key points with you. Um, and you can read the abstract um, or you can actually, of course, pay for or download the paper if, if you have for free, if you have an institutional access. Um, so this is quite an interesting story and it, to how this sort of study in this paper came about. And it goes back a really long time. Um, Probably those older ones of you will know that in 1992, many horses got into trouble during the cross country 
uh, at the Barcelona Olympic Games, which was then, of course, long format. And the cross country was held in the middle of the day, uh, where the air temperatures were in the sort of low 30s to mid 30s, um, hottest time of the day. Um, and but the saving grace probably was that the humidity uh, was quite low and the problem is that the horses weren't prepared for this sort of heat the wisdom at the time was to prepare horses for competing in the heat by avoiding the heat now of course we look at this now and think well that's crazy but at the time that was what everyone did Um, the riders who went to Barcelona were encouraged to train their horses early in the morning or late in the evening and not expose their horses to the heat. And many of the horses finished the cross country with rectal temperatures exceeding 42 degrees centigrade. Now, 42 degrees C is when we start to get a bit worried because 42 is a level at which horses start to show neurologic symptoms, become ataxic, you know, wobbly. Um, they quite can be quite distressed, um, and they can suffer heat-related illness and heat exhaustion. Um, and of course, if this goes untreated, if they're not cooled down, this can actually cause serious damage to organs, um, shock, diffuse intravascular coagulation, organ failure, and sadly death. And it wasn't just uh, the eventers. The same happened with dressage and show jumping horses as well. Um, Because those competitions ran in the middle of the day. And these horses, you know, the horses in in jumping and dressage, they may not be competing as intensely or as long as the horses on the cross country. But of course, these tend to be bigger horses. And no one actually knows how hot these horses got as the rectal thermometers that were used in Barcelona were human ones and these only measure up to 42 degrees C because basically if your temperature is above 42 degrees C you're pretty much dead there's not much interest in knowing if your horse (laughs) sorry if your person uh, is over 42 because you know that is a really bad outcome horses interestingly enough are much more thermotolerant than people but even so 42 is still a bit of a Uh, a red flag for us it's a very high temperature now whilst fortunately no horses died in Barcelona uh, at the Olympics a fair few appear to have suffered irreversible heat injury and never came back to competing at that level again and there were images of horses collapsed on the cross country that went around the world Um, and as we said it wasn't just cross country dressage and jumping was horses were also badly affected so this was the stimulus for what became known as the atlanta olympic project um in 1993 with atlanta olympics uh, 1996 looming and not only the heat of barcelona but also very high humidity uh, the fei launched a research initiative and they invited applications from research groups around the world there were a lot of groups that were involved in this uh, groups in Canada uh, America South America uh, in Europe uh, South Africa Australia Japan pretty much every major country with big equine research activities got involved in this and 
I was nominated. Uh, I was working at the Animal Health Trust as head of physiology. I was nominated uh, to write a proposal to the FEI, the International Equestrian Federation, uh, to write a proposal for grant funding for a programme of work to help us understand better how horses could or should be managed at the forthcoming Atlanta 1996 Olympic Games. So the proposal I actually put together covered research uh, into transport, because of course that's a, a pretty long flight from Europe to Atlanta and from many other eventing countries, such as Australia. Uh, it, so it covered uh, transport, um, jet lag, acclimatization to the heat, competition structure, what could we do to change the competition structure to uh, make it much better for the horses in terms of the heat? Um, monitoring the thermal environmental conditions. How hot is it? What you know? We often hear of uh, things like wind chill, which isn't a temperature. It's well, it is. <laughs> I've said it isn't a temperature. It is a temperature, but it's sort of wind chill. Is well, the air temperature is twelve degrees centigrade but it actually feels like three degrees centigrade because of the the wind and we have uh similar ways of assessing the thermal stress uh, you may have heard of a thing called the wbgt index wet bulb globe temperature index and this was actually uh applied and modified and, and uh, validated for use in horses at the atlanta olympic games for the first time um, and then finally, and, and possibly one of the most important areas, post-exercise cooling techniques. And fortunately, uh, my proposal was selected against international competition uh, and we started to put together the working plan. And this ended up being a huge collaborative effort uh, with many of my colleagues at the AHT. Uh, for example, Dr. Pat Harris, uh, now of Spillers and Waltham, Dr. Roger Harris, Dr. Paul Mills, a uh, vet from Australia, uh, my PhD student at the time, Caroline Scott, uh, who's now an accountant. <laughs> um, I obviously put Caroline off research. Dr. Colin Roberts, uh, who's now of Cambridge Vet School. Uh, Sue Dyson, of course, many of you will know, who was then... Uh, in the equine clinical unit at uh, the Animal Health Trust Ballaton Lodge in Newmarket, Catherine Orm, uh, who's now a well, has been a nutritionist for many years. Uh, again, another one of my PhD students, a vet from Spain uh, called Ignacy Casas, who was uh, a visiting researcher with my group and uh, a vet student at the time, uh, and, and latterly became the chef de keep of the Spanish endurance team. And so that was just some of the, I'm sure I've missed somebody. Um, my apologies if you're listening and, I'm, and you were involved and I missed you. There will be someone. Uh, and then there were all these external collaborators and these included uh, Professor Bob Schroeter of Imperial College London. Uh, Bob had a lot of experience in uh, thermoregulation, um, not so much in horses, but in other species, uh, people sheep uh, all sorts of other animals um, and Bob was the one who led the work on the WBGC index 
uh, Bob Michelle from the Royal Veterinary College, who uh, was working on uh, renal function, kidney function. Fred Barrowley from Rossdale's in Newmarket. Fred has been, uh, was, is involved in endurance for many years uh, around the world, an FEI vet, um, and brought some really useful clinical skills uh, to the project. Celia Marr, now editor of the Equine Veterinary Journal, who at the time was at Cambridge Vet School, along with her colleague Jan Bright. Um, Professor Leo Jeffcott, who was at Cambridge Vet School. Uh, Dr. Susie White of the University of Georgia in Atlanta. Um, and Susie and I collaborated on uh, some work on anhydrosis uh, as a result of uh, getting to know each other uh, involved in the Atlanta research. Rachel Williams, who was at Hartbury uh, College at the time and did some really nice work on uh, hormonal changes because we can measure stress of thermal environmental conditions through, for example, uh, cortisol. And as the horse gets hotter, we see that the uh, circulating cortisol uh, concentrations increase quite dramatically. Uh, her supervisor, one of her supervisors at the time, was Dr. Mina Davies-Morrill uh, from University of Wales, uh, Dr. Pat Maycuth in Atlanta. Um, Pat is a TD steward, uh, invented in particular a lot of experience in the uh, American horse industry, um, and Pat was very instrumental in getting different things uh, working. Um Dr. Natalie Warren, of course, uh, Natalie, well known for her work with the FEI on most recently on their Ethics and Welfare Committee. Uh, Natalie looked at some aspects of behaviour. Um, Jeff Holler, who was a uh, thermal imaging specialist, hadn't worked on horses before. Um, and a vet called Dr. Gerrit Matheson, who was uh, in private practice in Germany based near Frankfurt. Which and Frankfurt was going to be a hub for equine flights to Atlanta, and we used this in the a test event in 1995, where Gera organised stables uh, not that far from the airport for horses from the UK, Germany, Belgium, and Italy to congregate and be assessed for five days prior to the flight. Um, and this this work was actually written up as a scientific paper and uh, published. Um, sadly, Garrett, Garrett, sorry, Garrett passed away during the 2021 Olympic Games. Um, I learned that he was ill just before the games, um, and I was uh, able to share with him the work in the paper we've just published um, over sort of over WhatsApp uh, from Tokyo, which he was really interested in, even up until. Uh, the last few days before he, he passed, sadly passed away, and and that was 26 years on from our first working together. And as I say, Garrett deserves a lot of credit, really, for um, and respect for organising what was incredibly challenging. <laughs> Four different countries uh, trying to get them all together and to agree on everything and uh, stables and quarantine and. Uh, everything which was challenging so you're, you're sadly missed Garrett anyway moving on to 
really the first use of thermal imaging at the AHT and then in Atlanta. Um, I was aware of thermal imaging, of course, as it was a technique some of the clinical colleagues at the AHT often discussed. At the time, probably relatively few people were using it, although uh, Chris Collis, who was clinical director at the AHT for a period, did use it occasionally. Um, and so I thought this might be interesting. So interesting. So early on in the project, I got in touch with Jeff Holler, a thermal imaging specialist, who came along and collected images of horses on the treadmill. Um, and he had this massive great camera because in those days the, the, the technology was very different. And these cameras were absolutely huge. Um, <laughs> and of course, they also didn't like being in a hot, humid room, which was how we had the, uh, the treadmill room at the AHT set so that we could study the effects on horses. And then Jeff actually also travelled with us to collect images in the field during the Atlanta test event in 1995, which took place at... Um, event rider Carl Buchart's farm in it wasn't far from Atlanta but it was in the next anyway South Carolina got it <laughs> okay um anyway what was interesting was all I kept hearing from everyone was well you can't use thermal imaging outside because of the sun um and this did make sense to some degree because the sun directly heats the surfaces of I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites so if you're not looking on LinkedIn you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Horses, grass, anything, people. Um, and it was considered to be, at the time, a serious confounding factor that would prevent you using thermal imaging outside. And of course, if clinical thermal imaging is done, then it's... it's uh, considered to be one of the first requirements is that you do that in a light proof room um, with all the windows blacked out so that you don't have any extraneous light and we know that the sun has this heating effect on a, a sunny day uh, you're sitting there you feel nice and warm um, and then cloud comes over and you suddenly feel colder the difference the air temperature hasn't changed the difference is the level of solar radiation that's reaching your skin. So anyway, we took a chance and thought, well, we might find something from using thermal imaging. And we actually did use it to understand the potential for using ice cold water for rapid cooling. Again, at the time, it was considered that ice cold water would be counterproductive as it would shut down skin blood flow and make the horse even hotter. That was the theory. 
Of course, we've now known again for almost 25 years this isn't the case and the ice cold water and lots of it is probably the most important method for protecting horses in hot climates. If that's all you've got, ice cold water, then you're probably not in a bad position. So coming back to sort of more recent times, um, I really used thermal imaging after the Atlanta project and thermal imaging wasn't used during the games uh, themselves, during the Atlanta games, just in the in the research that led up to it. Just good old rectal thermometers that went up to 45 degrees centigrade this time, proper veterinary ones, proper ones designed for horses. Uh, we weren't going to get caught out by that again. And fortunately, no horses got anywhere near 42 degrees centigrade or 43 degrees centigrade during the games due to a combination of uh, acclimatization, an early morning start for the cross country, a shortened cross country um, and a mandatory cooling stop after the steeplechase. And in the meantime, a number of thermally challenging events have taken place with which I was involved in on the climate mitigation side, working with the FEI, uh, particularly Athens in 2004, Beijing in 2008, Rio in 2016, and of course, most recently, Tokyo 2021. Actually, not most recently. Uh, There is another one. Um, And this doesn't include major championships uh, in between in those years, such as Tryon in 2018, uh, and a number of Asian games, including the most recent in Hangzhou, China, uh, last year. But it was... In planning meetings for Tokyo 2020 with uh, people like Goran Ackerstrom, head of the veteran department, and uh, John McEwen, um, for a long time uh, chair of the FEI Veterinary Committee, and also, of course, uh, heavily involved with Team GB, a very experienced um, competition vet. Um, It was in these planning meetings I was asked to advise on any technology that could potentially be used as an early warning of horses that were hotter than normal and at risk of potential heat illness. Um, And there's lots of things potentially to consider there. We could look at core pills. uh, We could look at just using, you know, stopping horses and and taking rectal temperatures. But ideally, the the remit was to find something that was non-invasive. And then, of course, as soon as we think of non-invasive, well, my thoughts went thermal imaging. So for the 2019 Tokyo test event called uh, Ready Steady Tokyo, I teamed up with a thermographer from the UK called Helen Reynolds. Of uh, Helen has a company called Equionics, um, and she does a lot of thermal images and rehab and works with uh, a lot of vets on a referral basis. And uh, teamed up with Helen uh, to collect paired thermal images with rectal temperatures of horses during... Uh, training, warm-up and after competition during the test event. Uh, As I'm sure you know, it's a requirement that every venue, uh, every sport and every venue at the Olympic Games has to run a test event uh, in the year before the Olympic Games to test out all the uh, different, uh, different functions that, for example, from security to games management, Uh, emergency management all of these have to be tested during a test event Um, and ideally 
with real competitors. Um, and at Ready Steady Tokyo, we had horses from uh, Australia, we had horses from uh, Germany, from the UK. Uh, we also had a lot of uh, horses from Japan, uh, national horses. And this was a, a one-star competition. But in August, July, August in Tokyo, it is very, very hot. It is very, very hot. It is very, very humid. And it's up there with the sort of conditions we saw in Atlanta. Anyway, back to these paired thermal images and rectal temperatures. Well, I guess to some extent it was a little bit of a surprise how good the correlation was between a thermal image of the hindquarters and rectal temperature taken with, uh, with a um, rectal thermometer. Um, the thermal imaging underestimated rectal temperature by around about half a degree. So that was very easy to adjust for. Basically, if the thermal image says 39.5, you can reckon the rectal temperature is probably 40 degrees centigrade. After this sort of uh, encouraging uh, pilot study at the test event, we collected more data from some other events in different uh, thermal environmental conditions, for example, including Adelaide uh, event in, in cross-country, a three-day event in Australia, uh, Burley, Badminton. Um, and what we found and what is reported in our paper is probably not surprising. The cooler the environmental conditions were, the less reliable the thermal imaging becomes. However, even with that caveat, a horse that shows up as hotter than others on thermal imaging, even on a cold day, uh, will be, if you take its rectal temperature, pretty much hotter than any of the others, uh, if it shows up as being the hottest on thermal imaging. So we had enough further data to encourage us to uh, recommend that thermal imaging should be used at Tokyo 2020 or 2020-21 as it became um, and protocols were developed for the use of thermal imaging uh, this involved three different thermographers uh, Helen Reynolds from the UK's uh, Kaz Mukai uh, a vet from the Japan Racing Association and Kirsten Neal uh, an FEI vet from Australia and this involved collecting images from horses during training warm-up uh, pre and, and post competition and horses that had a hindquarter lateral temperature above 39 degrees centigrade were flagged to the steward in that area uh, and or the veterinary commission as appropriate. If we were very concerned about the horse and the horse was uh, showing signs of, of heat stress, then we would, of course, immediately inform the veterinary commission. Um, but this information was relayed to the chef to keep of the team, the team vet, or if neither of the former were available, then to the rider themselves. Um, and this was briefed, as it should be, because it was new to all stewards, the veterinary team, national teams, all officials prior to the start of the games. Um, now, in addition to the use in the venue at uh, Bajikone in the centre of Tokyo, Thermal imaging was also used on cross-country day in the warm-up area uh, and horses that were above our 
39 degrees centigrade threshold were flagged and riders were requested to cool their horses sufficiently before they were allowed to start the cross country. And actually, out of the 62 starters, we flagged 14 horses that were over that 39 degrees centigrade. So they were required to go into the cooling area and cool their horses before being allowed to start. And this was done as early as possible in their warm-up so as to avoid horses missing their allocated start time. We'd actually only happen with one horse due to a, a, a slight misunderstanding and miscommunication. And, and that horse was held, missed their start time, but was allowed to start out of order. Um, overall, the use of thermal imaging was very well received by all involved in Tokyo, riders, vets, team management officials. And what was also uh, particularly I think encouraging was that most teams began to request thermal image in their horses when they saw us during training uh, and or competition warm-up and they used this to actually make decisions on whether to interrupt training or warm-up to undertake cooling. Um, so this was fantastic. This was I, I think the best outcome we could have sort of ever wished for. So um, that's all the positive side. What about are there limitations of using thermal imaging in this sort of in these sort of scenarios? Is this something that you can do with a two hundred pound thermal imaging camera? Sadly, not. We did investigate low, medium, and high cost cameras, um, and the minimum spec really ended up being uh, cameras around five thousand pounds. The ones used in Tokyo were uh, approximately fifteen thousand pounds to purchase. These were FLIR. FLIR um, and I say FLIR make a huge range starting at the ones around £200 which plug into an iPhone um, going up to sort of £500 a few thousand £5,000 15000 £25,000 um, the reason the more expensive cameras were used is because these have higher resolution which means they can work at distances of perhaps 20 metres or even slightly further and this is really essential for discrete monitoring of horses and riders. Remember, if we uh, were monitoring horses and they were below the 39 threshold, there was no interference with what they were doing. If they got to 38.9 and they stopped and cooled their horse, again, no interference from the monitoring team or the veterinary team or the stewards. And that is incredibly important. Remember, these are riders preparing to compete in the olympic games you know one of the pinnacles of the sport um so really it's about being as discreet and uh and as limited uh involvement or or uh, interruption to them as possible but of course at the same time this is about protecting horses okay well that was tokyo what next um i think it's fairly safe to say the use of thermal imaging in the way we used it at Tokyo 2021 did help us identify some horses being worked too hard for the, for the conditions in training and probably uh, helped us prevent those horses getting into heat-related illness. I'm almost certain that it prevented uh, horses that were too hot from starting the cross-country, which 
the reason why this is important is that if a horse starts hot, it's only going to get hotter. So if they start at 39 um, and and go up to uh, 41, that's okay. But if they start at 40 and go up to 42, that's not so good. Um, So that's the reason we don't want them starting too hot. Um, Because if they get too hot, this will be a component in development of fatigue. And of course, fatigue is a risk factor for horses falling. So whether it will be used in Paris 2024 is not decided at this time. Um, For the record, the climate analysis that I've done does show on the basis of the past 10 years that there is a one in three chance of a substantial heat wave during the Paris 2024 Olympics. So it's something uh, I'm, I'm sure the organisers are bearing in mind. Well, I hope you find this or found this interesting. Um, if you have questions or you'd like to explore the use of thermal imaging in a question competition further, then please do get in touch. I'd love to uh, interact. I'd love to uh, explain more about what we've done. Um, and if you want to collaborate, of course, I'm always willing to do that. Um, so many things that benefit horse welfare start off as uh, projects, then become collaborative and other people take them up. And, and that's what we want to see improved horse welfare. Uh, you can email me at hello at Dr. Dr. David Marlin, as in the fish, dot co dot UK. Um, and I'll get back to you. Bye bye. I hope you enjoyed this podcast and the Stable Science series. If you want to learn more about this topic and our work, head over to the drdavidmarlin.com website. 
Our website and community of members discuss a wide breadth of topics and the website houses thousands of articles, webinars, videos and research, all designed to help horse owners, riders, trainers and breeders achieve optimal performance for their much-loved horses. The DrDavidMarlin.com site is an independent information resource for all equestrians, a source of unbiased, science-based research. To learn more about what we do and the hot topics under discussion, follow us on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter.